This is Concepts, where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world. Phil Shea and Steve Rose. My name is Phil Shea. I am writing for MakeASkillJack.com, and you can find more writing by me at HittingAJack.com. Steve? My name is Steve Rose, and you can find more about me at SteveRosePhD.com, where I write about mental health and addiction. Welcome to Pros and Concepts. Welcome. Today, we're going to be talking about Steve? Ghosting. Yeah, ghosting. We're not going to be talking about Steve. We're going to be talking about ghosting. Yes. Yes, not me. So, Steve, ghosting. Okay, for those who are unfamiliar with ghosting, this is going to be interesting for me as well, because Steve did all the research on this. I didn't realize that there actually was literature on this. But, Steve, what is ghosting before we talk about it like that? Yeah, so it has nothing to do with the supernatural. In this case, actually, let's pull a definition right from the literature. So, a 2022 study, an empirical analysis describing an accessible definition of ghosting, refers to it as, ghosting is when one person suddenly ignores or stops communicating with another person without telling them why. So that's pretty simple. To add to that, it's usually involved with technological communications, contemporary dating experiences, and do a more elaborate definition by a 2019 study from Lefebvre. This author, he or she, or they, tend to be common in the literature. They are probably one of the top ghosting authors or researchers I've come across, and they refer to it as unilaterally ceasing communication temporarily or permanently in an effect to withdraw access to individuals prompting relationship dissolution suddenly or gradually commonly enacted via one or multiple technological mediums. Okay, so in short, it's basically just disappearing and not responding and not giving any explanation. Though, actually not giving any explanation, I was listening for that because I've had an instance where by these definitions might be considered ghosting even though she told me that it was over, she didn't give me any reason and then would not respond ever after that. So it was the girl from Australia when I was there. I went to Australia to meet her. We've been seeing each other for a bit. And then she said, I don't want to see each other anymore. Thanks. Good luck. (laughs) It was very professional. And then no actual explanation was given. So would that be ghosting? Did she explain that she was going to stop communicating with you? I mean, it's implied. She said that she didn't want to continue pursuing it. So yeah, I guess. It's not ghosting. Oh, it's not ghosting. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's true because she didn't just evaporate into the air without saying anything at all. Yeah, she just didn't owe you an explanation even though you wanted one. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, after months of seeing each other and going around the world to seeing somebody, you'd like at least something to hold on to, some sort of closure there. But yeah, she didn't actually owe me that. It's just one of those things where you're just kind of left hanging being like, okay, well, I guess that's never going to be closed. Yeah, and you wonder even till today probably. Yeah. I mean, I can guess. I mean, it wasn't like a great match to begin with. But yeah, you always wonder like what the exact reason would have been. But then again, okay, to juxtapose this to other forms of dating, more straightforward forms of dating, even if you do get an explanation, it's often bullshit anyway. They're not going to tell you the real reason. Oh, you you smell really bad or you perform very badly in bed or you're a very condescending prick and you think you know it all. Like all these things, they're not going to say the exact reason. It's like with children, some people approach children this way where like if you give them an explanation, then that gives them any room to try to wiggle their way in and argue that 
point down. So it makes sense. Was there any literature on gender split or non-hetero couples with ghosting? Yeah, there's a lot of research. So when we talked about doing ghosting, it was more like, oh, it's just one of those fun informal concepts to talk about dating experiences. You have plenty of those you can talk about. And then I was like, oh, I wonder if there's any research on this. And there's like pages upon pages of academic <laughs> literature. And I'm like, I can't summarize it all. And so I, I just have what I have and we'll talk about it. That's how we ended up doing a need for cognition, which I still feel that was a very indulgent episode where it was. ended up being like, oh, haha, look how smart we are. No, that wasn't the point. But it was more because it was a topic that I'd looked into a bit and we had almost started talking about outsourcing cognition, which I thought was just, okay, like counting on your hands is outsourcing cognition and talking to a friend is outsourcing cognition. But then I ended up finding out that it's an area in sci-fi and transhumanism and using technology to outsource or crowdsource cognition ended up being this huge thing. A lot of these topics we think are real small is my point. And we end up finding that there's a massive body of research. We're like, ah, I don't have time to summarize this. Yeah. So I didn't go into any specific in-depth analysis on gender and sexuality. It was a feature that they mentioned a few times, but due to the large volume, I, I literally just summarized the first page of Google Scholar and maybe one from the second. What was the query you put in? What was the search term? Ghosting. That was it? Yeah. It's all psychological studies. They're all recent. Most are recent. 2019 to 2022 is quite a dearth of literature, as they would say. I guess it would be relatively easy to study during the pandemic. Yes. And it's a fun topic, too. Is it? Is it? Well, I think it is. What, you don't think it's fun? I mean, it depends on what we mean by a fun topic. It's not fun to be there on the receiving end, and it feels a little bit guilt-provoking on the perpetrating end. So fun for who? Oh, researchers. <laughs> not the participants. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, when you think of like, fun topics, like, ah, the, the different colors that make people hungry, that seems like kind of fun. It's light for everybody. If not, people broke your heart and didn't say anything and just disappeared, and they feel guilty about it, and you feel completely no closure. I guess I'm speaking from a place of privilege, never having experienced it or having dated in the last decade. Yeah, we should point out that Steve has never actually been on any dating apps ever. I, I mean, it makes sense given the timeline, but to me, it was like, what? <laughs> Just surprising that that's not been a thing in your life ever. Yeah, I've been in a relationship since 2009. So there were very few. Even if you would meet someone online back then and you told friends or family, oh, I'm meeting someone I met online, they'd be like, what? Why are you online dating? Like, yeah, it, was, it was seen as a weird thing. Even now, you'll find one in 100. It's like 1% now of people that will say that they will deny having met online or they'll deny having met on Tinder or whatever it is. And it doesn't matter as long as the relationship is good and you guys like each other and respect each other and things are working out. What does it matter? I guess maybe you want a more romantic beginning story, but stories have to change with the times, I guess. Yeah. And so, yeah, I speak from a place of not having to live this on a daily basis, this kind of, I don't know what you would call it, contemporary dating landscape, which from what I hear in my conversations with people, in my daily life, in my work, it's not so good. I'm, I'm mostly speaking, I hear this a lot from women. It's just, they really don't look very highly upon the dating world. I find for women, the metaphor I usually get for women versus men for dating is for men, it's kind of wandering through the desert, depending on what kind of guy you are. But like the average guy is wandering through the desert looking for some water. <laughs> and for women, it's you're in a landfill and you're trying to find something of value. <laughs> a dumpster fire. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. No, I mean, a dumpster fire, like it's going be way worse. I just mean like there's a ton of trash. It's not, I mean, it might be burning you, I guess, that you have to dig through to find something of value that you're looking for. So it's a slog. Whereas guys, it's more like screaming in the wild and nobody's there to hear you to help you. And so it's bad on both sides. If you 
take it seriously. So that's the main issue. If your goal is get me the hell off this app, I don't want to be here, then you're not going to have a good time. And it's going to be unenjoyable because frankly, you just are not open to the experience of dating and it will not be enjoyable for that reason. But that ends up getting worse results, I find, because you're just miserable and you're complaining about how it sucks to be on this dating app and blah, blah, blah. And you're just going to attract somebody else who's commiserating about how much they hate dating, but that may not get you the best partner. Yeah, I just hear from women all the time and it's like, oh, that dumpster fire of dating these days. Oh, it's just terrible. You're just like being bombarded with inappropriate soliciting messages and pictures. I mean, you can't send pictures on the apps, I don't think. I don't know what you can do on these apps. Like usually they don't have a number. They can't send voice messages. Some of them allow it, like I think Bumble does. But there are other ones that it's mostly just text. And until you get off of the platform, you can't do much more than just send GIFs that are part of the, the app or text. But I mean, there's also the danger of like giving your phone number out because like WhatsApp, for instance, you have to give your number, which means they have your number, which means they can probably find you in Facebook. So there's a lot of privacy issues that can go on. Right. Yeah. And so ghosting, it, it tends to be one of the more, I guess, psychologically damaging things that happen. I mean, there's there's worse. And there's a few studies that, that show worse things, but it sticks with people. And I'll talk to people and they'll be ruminating on a ghosting experience that happened year or two out. And they'll be talking about it still today. And it's really affecting their ability to function that day. And why do you think it sticks with them in such a way? Well, according to this study here, there's a lot of questions. Uh, like, wait, 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 hold on, wait, wait. I mean, if you have the answer based on research, then I want to guess first because I have a theory. I just wonder how it works. I think to me, it really sticks with you is because like it's a form of rejection where you have no closure whatsoever. And so you're kind of left dwelling on the reasons that you don't like yourself. Yes, that. Exactly. It leaves an open loop where there's a uncertainty and in the face of uncertainty, there's fear. And in particularly this case, it's what does it mean about me? So questions such as it says in the study, what did I do to cause this? What is wrong with me? And why was I unable to read the situation? Yeah, I mean, what did they do to cause it? I think the answer is obvious that it could be nothing to do with them. It could be just like an offhand joke that was taken wrong. It could be circumstance. Maybe the person was hit by a car. The thing is, you have no idea. Like literally ghosting, right? Like if you really value somebody, you can often think there's more of a connection than there is. And you can end up being a bit more available, a bit more proactive, a little too talking to them. And then that can come off as neediness and then chase them off. So there's that. There's also the fact that you can't read somebody over text. Some people over text cannot communicate the personality at all. And some people are exactly the same as the way they communicate over text. So you have no idea where on that spectrum the people lie, right? Yeah. But to the point of why it creates so many mental health problems, the ambiguity, uncertainty, lacking closure, and people tend to fill the void with, well, maybe it was me. And years out, people can be really ruminating on this and it's uh, quite a sad situation. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have any current prospects or anything promising on the horizon, then you can ruminate on these things and think about what could have been like how if you had just not said that one thing, maybe like the thing is, it's usually not just one thing, right? But if we are in more dire straits, we can think of how had I not said that one thing, everything would have been fine. But it's a fantasy to think that it was just that one thing. And it could have been just they were not upfront about all the things that were bothering them. And it overall would not have worked out. And the option's not there anyway. So we have to kind of come to terms with it and move on as hard as I can be. The reason why it's particularly harder is because unlike pre-technological times where there would be just the physical and psychological absence, now you have 
the physical and psychological absence with technological presence. And so you can actually still see this person out and about if you can have access to certain profiles or whatever. Yeah, you're not blocked. Yeah, if yeah. you're not blocked. And so that can hurt even more because you see this person kind of quote unquote living their best life as they say and, and then you're just like sitting there isolated and they're just showing you the best highlight reels of their life. So it really hurts. Yeah, yeah. and that's, yeah. I was going to point that out too. It was the highlight reels too because we don't put our laying there eating Cheetos in underwear with crumbs on our shirts. They don't put photos of that when you're doing social media stuff. So you will see only the best and them looking their best and them maybe hitting the gym and looking even more fit than when you were together. I mean, sometimes people actually even do that on purpose. This is aside from ghosting. It might still exist in that way, but to rub it in to be like, look how good I am without you or either to rub it in that they're better after the breakup, having broken up with them, or you should come back to me because I am this good. So you should come back. Yeah. It adds a weird element to the social dynamic there where if you think maybe they're in the hospital or got in a car accident, you can go check their page and then you're like, oh no, they're just out partying. Okay. I feel even worse about myself. Look what I'm doing right now. I'm stalking them and they're out. I mean, that kind of fear turns into anger then too, because first you're like, oh, they're just busy. And then it's like, oh, what if something happened? Oh my God. What if they're like dying dead in a ditch? Oh my God. What if they're in the hospital? And then you see they're partying. You're like, fuck that person. I was concerned about them. I was worried about them. And they're just out partying and they didn't bother to say shit to me. Yeah. I've heard that from people before. And, and anger is probably a healthier response than anxious rumination. Define anxious rumination. Particularly if it's self-directed. Like ruminating about like maybe they're in the hospital, maybe they're in a car accident. So continuing to think over and over again about what negative things may have happened. What may have happened to them. I guess it's not as psychologically damaging as ruminating about personalized motives. Like once you find out they're out partying, instead of the anger response, which is relatively healthy and motivates you to have personal boundaries and move on, the anxious rumination is it's anger internalized in a sense like oh no I hate myself what did I do what does it mean about me why are they having fun I'm not good enough to be out with them now they didn't invite me and so the anger directed inward turns into this anxious rumination regarding one's self-worth and so the outwardly directed anger that you were describing sounds like to level up let's just it's actually say healthier, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though if taken too far obviously these things are not healthy any longer but any emotions useful rage it's usually pretty destructive you know hopefully the anger doesn't turn to rage but to notice it and allow it to motivate you to have personal boundaries and move forward. I mean, that's a healthy mindset. Yeah. So let's, let's dig a little more into this research. I don't even know if you've given us... How many studies have you even given us at this point? One? Two. Okay. So what were the conclusions of those studies then? They were mostly about definitions and what it is and what it does. And that's kind of what we talked about right now. And now there's another study here, 2019, by Friedman and others, uh, Ghosting and Destiny, Implicit Theories of Relationships Predict Beliefs About Ghosting. And this was quite interesting because remember when we talked about fixed mindset versus growth mindset like in our early first episode? or second episode yeah one of the one of the top five one of the top five it's one of our good episodes that somehow ended up in the beginning when we were not so practiced is that where we talked about shitting on a lawn yes yeah so i highly recommend going back to that one it's actually pretty good but there's a correlation between people with fixed mindsets and feeling more positively toward ghosting. Just to remind you, if you don't know what a fixed mindset is, it's beliefs about like, this is the way things are. It's either inherited. And in this case, they're talking about destiny beliefs, like destiny beliefs related to romantic relationships. Like we are not destined to be together and therefore I can ghost this person because it's not meant to be. That's more of a fixed mindset. So fixed mindsets were better at receiving ghosting behaviors? Fixed mindsets were better at justifying doing ghosting. Justifying doing 
thinking. Okay, so I thought, oh, yeah, that was going to be completely counter my intuition. I thought it was like somebody who's fixed mindset will take it very personally if they are ghosted because it's like, I am flawed, I am broken. But okay, so if we're taking like the person ghosting, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, we're not meant to be, blah, blah, blah. Oh, the relationship wasn't exactly perfect at the moment we set eyes on each other or we had a single disagreement. Yeah, let's ghost. Yeah, they say that people with this kind of mindset of destiny beliefs, which is a fixed mindset, they have stronger ghosting intentions and having previously used ghosting to terminate relationships and feel more positively toward ghosting. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so then I'm wondering, I don't think... I've ghosted people, but I remember one of my exes, it's not that I would be embarrassed to have watched it, but it's just, I, I'm not a huge fan of the show, but Sex in the City, I've seen most episodes because one of my exes watched it in the room when I was playing games and stuff. So I've seen basically the whole series. But in one of those episodes, she is talking about how she's on this like date that she doesn't care about, the main character, Carrie, and she is on this date she does not care about, but she realizes that she's kind of using this guy as a distraction, whereas this guy, she is a big deal to him. She's the reach for him. He's out of his league and she's just like, ah, whatever, I this is not anything serious, not going anywhere. It's just a lunch. And he's thinking he's trying out for the big time. And he's like, oh my God, like, this is it. And so she realized that she's doing these things. So what I'm saying is not that I'm <laughs> a big shot more. You don't know when you're doing these things to other people because you're not the one on the receiving end sometimes. So generally I will say things aren't really working out or whatever this or that, but sometimes things just fizzle out and nobody picks up the conversation again. And it just doesn't happen. So is that ghosting? No, I think if it's a mutual, just things fizzle out, not necessarily. Like nobody's continuing to reach out. They don't keep saying, hey, or sending random messages to start a conversation. You ignore them. Just neither of you, it just didn't click, right? That's not ghosting. Okay, so then I, I don't think I have actually ghosted then. No, I don't think that's ghosting. And so related to the fixed mindset, the opposite of that is the growth mindset. And growth mindset is that things are not set in stone. It's not destiny. We make our own lives through our effort. And that showed the opposite pattern with perceptions of the acceptability and intentions to ghost. Yeah, this is the thing. And this is one of the problems like with the growth mindset from the guy's side of dating. I don't know with the women's side, I can't really speak to it too much from receiving side. But from the guy's side, it's like people will just ghost or just break it off and they won't give you any reason why. And again, we talked about this before. They don't owe us an explanation. And I understand why they don't. However, I would have really enjoyed any feedback at all. <laughs> I might not have liked it. It might have been very painful, but it would have helped me more than just having to kind of do guesswork on my own to figure out how I went wrong or what I could have done better. Sometimes it is just a mismatch, but sometimes it's a consistent pattern. If you have more data, you can work off of that. But I also understand that if a woman were to actually give an explanation to people. And as somebody who's hired people for freelance, it's kind of similar. If you give them feedback, they often will just be a huge asshole about it. Like one guy, I was paying him per word for a Dungeons and Dragons thing. And I told them that like the way you write, I give him like a style guide, D ampersand D. So D and D, that's one word in writing. He continually made it D space ampersand space D space. So then that's three words instead of one. So he's trying to milk me for the extra few cents per word by breaking that up. And every contraction was not a contraction. So it read much less naturally. And there's so much more repeat stuff. And so I gave him feedback telling him these things. And he ended up threatening to sue me that if I used his content, that he would sue me for using his stuff. And I'm like, no, the problem is I have to rewrite all of this because it's so bad. But like, imagine it's even more vitriolic if you're a woman giving dating advice to a man because it's much more personal. This is just me giving feedback about a guy's writing ability. If you're giving a man feedback on whether he's a good man or not for women. So that's a lot more personal. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. And it's not like an employer where if they fire 
inspire you, they tell you, like try to coach you on like how do you improve yourself and they have to give legitimate reasons for firing you. How many times have you been fired? I don't think that's how it works. That's not how it works as far as I am aware. Well, they can just fire you and not tell you why? Yes. If they give you any reason at all for firing you or for not hiring you, you can possibly bring them to court for wrongful dismissal or some sort of prejudice in hiring practices. They don't tell you anything. It's the same. They don't tell you anything at all for fear of repercussion. And it's the same thing for women. I guess I'm talking about working in a unionized environment where they have to. In that case, I guess, yeah, you can compel them to, but in many places, no, they don't give you a good reason. Or again, like dating, they give you a bullshit reason so that it's just like something semi-palatable. They're getting rid of you. Why would they invest time and money into dealing with that? Well, tell people why, but it's usually not the reason. They're saying we're downsizing and then you see your job up listed and they're hiring for your position. I mean, if you are not wrongfully, what's it called? Justified dismissal? Founded dismissal? Can't remember the term, but if they're doing it with cause, there we go. They're, They're firing you with cause. Then they have to give you the cause. But sometimes they will do stuff like the real reason is that the boss just doesn't like you or you're a woman who has too many opinions. Something that is not That's the real reason, but they don't say the real reasons. Right. They may have that as a real reason, but then they'll find some other reason, some stupid little infraction they can get you on to legally fire you. So like, that's the problem with a lot of these things. And also I always wonder, like if you sue them to get your job back, you just want to continue working there. Yeah, that'd be pretty bad. Not that people shouldn't do that. It's just, I always wonder what the desired outcome of these lawsuits is. Right. Yeah. And so back to dating again, there's a 2021 study on attachment styles. Oh yeah. Which attachment styles do they look at? The four or the three? Anxious and avoidant ones, particularly. Would you have any guesses of which attachment styles are associated with which things? Being ghosted or ghosting? Anxious would be ghosted and avoidant would be ghosting. That seems pretty obvious. Yeah, so individuals who had been ghosted or had both been ghosted and ghosted reported significantly higher anxiety than those who had ghosted or had no prior ghosting experience. On the other end, individuals who had ghosted or had ghosted and been ghosted reported significantly higher avoidance than those with no prior ghosting experience. Wait, I might have missed what you just said. Okay, it sounds like you said both of them had higher experiences of doing both. No, it's an and category, not an or category. So individuals who had ghosted or had ghosted and been ghosted. Okay. So it's complicated in terms of listening to the logic of it, but let's just say... Okay, let's say doing and receiving instead of ghost and ghosted because that's a little harder thing. So okay, anxious avoidant people individuals have... Individuals who had done it or had done it and had it done to them were more it. avoidant. Yeah. Okay, so avoidant people were more likely to do it or do it and receive it. Anxious people were more likely to receive it or receive it and do it. Yeah. Okay. So the missing pieces on each were avoidant people were less likely to have it done to them and anxious people were less likely to do it, right? Yes. Okay. I mean, that makes some sense. And I kind of wonder, because these are going to be self-reported. So I wonder with anxious people, they might consider it ghosting, but it's like anxious people in the dating scene will often send really long messages and really long explanations and keep talking and keep talking because they don't like the silence and they don't like that nobody's saying anything back to them. So they'll keep talking. So the person could have said, it's over. That's it. I'm not interested anymore. And then that person can keep talking and then they might get a simple response that they take as hope and they keep talking and keep talking which then can from their perspective be ghosting when the person could have already said no that's it for men so i wonder if that plays into it but it doesn't matter regardless because i think we're still talking about the psychological effects of having had it done to them i guess being more anxious would increase the odds that you'd perceive yourself to have been ghosted if the other person actually said no but then you kept talking 
and then you perceive their lack of response as ghosting when they actually just already told you the answer. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yours is just a less convoluted way of saying what I said. Yeah. 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 So according to another study, ghosting is not actually as harmful as something else. And the something else is is called breadcrumbing. Oh, is breadcrumbing where they like give a single response every once in a while, but it never ends up going anywhere? Yes. Oh, yeah. So I've we're not that, talking yeah. about these types of traumas. We're talking about... We're just talking about the social phenomenon. The social phenomena of being in contact with someone or not being in contact with someone. And breadcrumbing is that intermittent contact. <laughs> so it's like they only respond very late and they don't address everything and they just kind yeah. of, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that seems to be the most pursued people are the ones that are doing it the most often, it seems. Because if I had to guess, I think it's because they've got too many options, too many people they're juggling. They're not that interested in everybody they're talking to, but they have all these options that are coming at them because they want to be with them. And so they may feel guilty or may be bored and finally just be like, yeah, okay, this, I'll just say one thing. So I can see that being a thing. Yeah, because it keeps you on the string for a long time. Like you're on the line thinking that it's going to come together again. The thing about breadcrumbing, they're giving you just enough attention or investment to keep you strung along. And it's almost like a slot machine of attachment experiences where you're like hoping, oh, are they going to mess with Are they going to reach? Are they going to be available? And you're sitting there hoping like you're going to win the jackpot. And, and it affects you perhaps even more than just this clean break. And the study says that suffering breadcrumbing would significantly increase the likelihood of experiencing less satisfaction with life and having more feelings of loneliness and helplessness. However, no significant relation was found between ghosting and any of the examined psychological correlates. So this study particularly was useful in highlighting that it didn't show much about ghosting, but it, it just showed that breadcrumbing is worse in these particular psychological correlates they're referring to. Yeah, that makes sense. Because if you're ghosted, it's done. There's no response. You can keep shouting and doing whatever, but there's nothing coming back to keep you on the line. Whereas if you are interested and you don't have any other prospects and you're just all in on this one person and they keep occasionally every few days saying one thing or every week saying one thing, you think, oh, there's still hope. So yeah, I can see that being much, much worse. The thing is, when you find somebody that you think is very promising and you're like, this is it, I'm going to stop dating, I'm going to be with this person, and they don't feel the same way, you're misreading that situation or you're valuing them more than they're valuing you, then you can stop doing other behaviors, pursuing new prospects, you can stop matching with people, which then means you're just fixating on this one breadcrumbing individual, whereas they likely are not doing the same thing. And a lot of people don't like the whole, it's kind of gamified now, where kind of like an it's a business where you have to keep doing marketing for your business because you never know if something's going to come through or not and things can fall apart at any time. I guess in a relationship sense, you could argue that by continuing to look, you might burn bridges. But generally speaking, that's not quite the case if you have decent communication skills because you can say, hey, yeah, we weren't serious. I wasn't sure if I was going to go anywhere. I've had things that I thought were working out and then just fell apart. So I've learned that I keep looking around until something seems more promising and then I stop. Like once you've had the conversation that this is something we both reciprocally feel, then you can lock in and really rely on it. But if you're just projecting the things you want to see onto this person and you stop looking for options, you will end up isolating yourself where they may not be doing that at all. Yeah. And this breadcrumbing is often referred to as a form of psychological abuse. Really? Yeah. I mean, I guess I can see it, but it's almost self-inflicted to a degree. I would draw a line where you could become victim blaming. I mean, in the very early 
early stages of messaging someone, sure. Because if it's like your first week and you're just messaging a ton okay, of people. Okay, yeah, granted. If they haven't slept together or they've only been on like one date, but if they have talked about the future or like the person's promised a lot and they've slept together and they've done a bunch of other things, yeah, then I could see, okay, yeah, that, that seems like more the perpetrator doing it. But it's one of those fuzzy areas where it could be either. We're not talking about Tinder conversations. We're talking about you're actually supposedly exclusive and you're kind of months into the relationship. Oh, so they're too weak-willed to actually break it off. So they're just kind of pulling back and hoping that you'll just get the message so they don't have to break up with you. Like that kind of thing? Hmm, maybe. But I would say that the person might just be like a player or like actually just dating other people in the background and, and not telling them. Yeah. In that case, if you've had the conversation that you're exclusive and you're still doing other things, you're a piece of shit. Like you're garbage. And the future faking that comes with that too. It's like, oh, someday we're going to be together. We're going to go on these trips. We're going to have a family. But then they like disappear for a week. Is that kind of like love bombing? That would happen in the initial stages of the relationship. The breadcrumbing would happen after the love bomb wears out. So this is all narcissistic relationship stuff. Where the love bomb is like the first couple months where it's just like you're on top of the world. They're taking you everywhere. When the love bomb settles, breadcrumbing starts to happen. And now they're giving you just enough to keep you invested. So now you're hooked in by the love bomb. It's like the casino giving you this early big win on the slot machine. And then after that, you're just like, oh, I got to keep doing this. And they give you just enough winnings just to keep you hooked in. That's what the relationship's like. And so it becomes more of a psychological abuse at that point where this person is being strung along and is ultimately up to them to get out of it. What do you think is the motivation of the breadcrumber there? Having options? Feeling desired? Control. Because when that person's doing that, the other person chases, they get a sense of control. Okay. I don't know. It could be a lot of motives. Yeah. But I guess, what else do you have on ghosting? Because we're now we're down this rabbit hole about breadcrumbing. Related to that, there's actually a study on ghosting and the dark triad traits, which I referred to. So the dark triad traits are psychopathy, Machiavellianism, and narcissism. And these three psychological traits, really, it's a kind of obvious conclusion of the study, but these types of people find it more acceptable to use ghosting in short-term relationships. Yeah. For those who are unfamiliar what Machiavellianism is, it's about, to summarize, it's the ends justify the means. So you can do whatever you want so long as the outcome is the desirable outcome. So very unsaintly behavior a lot of the time. Yeah. So no surprise here that these are correlated. But interestingly enough, they said that it's not that acceptable to do in long-term relationships. Those dark tribe people said that? Yeah. You should ghost in short-term relationships, no big deal, but don't do it in long-term ones. Yeah. I mean, it's more acceptable than that. I guess I can sort of agree with that. But like, I'm surprised, honestly, I'm just more surprised that they're drawing a line at all in terms of long-term relationships. Yeah. And they, they particularly find the acceptability of ghosting among narcissistic men and a little bit less so for psychopathic ones. I don't know why. That's very strange. More with narcissistic, less with psychopathic people. I think maybe they don't want to deal with the hassle. They're more instrumental and they say if you ghost someone, then that gives you a bad reputation and therefore you can't manipulate them again in the future. I don't know. Because the narcissist would think that they're great regardless. Maybe a psychopath, the thing is they're not swayed by tears or by hurting somebody else's feelings. So yeah, it's more instrumental. It's, if it's better to say like, hey, I actually don't like you anymore. You can go screw yourself. Then yeah, that's a faster way of dealing with the problem. Yeah, the person might cry. They might feel bad. But if you're a psychopath, you don't care about any of that. So I can see why they might just be like, unabashedly straightforward with it, maybe. Right. I got it. Yeah, makes sense. So apparently ghosting is not just a thing in romantic relationships. There's another study that says ghosting is more frequent in non-romantic relationships due to the lower levels of commitment and expectations, apparently. I can see that. Never thought of it. Yeah. I have a lot of friends that say it's hard to make friends as an adult. I guess I'm often in contexts where either I'm a novel entity in the situation, like here in Brazil, or you're in a situation where other people are also unmoored from their utilization 
situation, like living in a hostel or teaching English abroad, nobody has any set relationships. It's easier to make connections there. But if you're in a static location where everyone is kind of locked into their life, then I can see how it'd be very difficult and people don't feel obligated to give you a reason. Like if in romantic relationships where things typically are a bit of a higher pitch, it's harder for people. Like if they're not going to do it there, they're not going to do it with their, the people that they're kind of friends with, that they don't really consider a part of their life. There's somebody that they've gotten a couple of drinks with before. And so like, I don't know, eh, they'll figure it out. I've heard of people ghosting their family too. <laughs> what? I've not heard of that. No, like I hear in my conversations, obviously. The oh, it's like counseling. Wait, wait, wait. So they're being ghosted or they're ghosting their family? Being ghosted. If someone's ghosting their family, they'll use different terminology. They'll say like, I need personal boundaries with them. I had to stop contact because they're abusive. There could be some legitimate reasons for why they stop contact. But if from the parents' end, they're like, my daughter son just ghosted us and then like, it, it can be a thing yeah i guess ghosting is often in the eye of the beholder so the person that's being ghosted will be the one that will determine whether they feel it was ghosting or not i suppose perfect segue to this study over here that explains all oh, this oh great yeah, let's go for that go for it i don't again i don't know any of this research they, there's some hilariously named studies like i feel like the researchers were having fun with the topic they're like my boo became a ghost Ooh. <laughs> like, oh my god really that's so bad. The one that I was just referred to in terms of non-romantic relationships, it says, from best friends to silent ends. <laughs> and the study that I'm referring to now, explaining the motives and who's blaming who, is called Gone with the Wind, <laughs> exploring mobile daters ghosting experiences. The last two I do kind of find a bit more appealing. Like, they're just being creative. It's like, we both make weekly emails. I have to make something that sounds appealing, but also is, like, on a topic. I like the last two, but yeah, when I read that one, my boo became a ghost, I was like, Oh, I'm yeah, sure. no, that's that's a bad one. That's that's uh, it's a like, bad I guess joke. it is. Yeah, please do better. <laughs> so when there's a ghoster in the situation, do you think more ghosters blame themselves or the other person? So a ghoster is the one doing the ghosting. Yep. So when somebody is ghosted, do people who ghost blame the victim of it or the perpetrator? Is that what the question is? Yeah. A ghoster blame for for what? Exactly. What is the blame being assigned for? For the ghosting. Oh. Does the person doing the ghosting blame themselves or the other person more often? Oh, I don't know. I would guess, I would assume they don't blame themselves. Most people don't like to assume themselves in a bad light. Do they blame themselves? Most people don't. Most most people doing ghosting will say it's because of the other person that they're doing it. So 59% of the people in this study were saying, I ghosted them because of them. Do you know the sample size of that study? It's a smaller study. So yeah, because like 59% is like... Okay, it was like 80%, then like, okay, wow. So the number of that 59% is 128 participants at the... These are real small studies, and I can't blame them for it, but it's like... It's a qualitative study. There's a quantitative component to it, but it is a smaller study, yeah. What do you mean by qualitative again? It's talking about their ghosting experiences or lived experiences. So it's not like they're doing a Likert scale, one to seven, what are the feelings about blah, or... They're doing a thematic analysis where they're looking at the themes and what people are saying and tallying it up. Oh. Oh, okay. Then yeah, that, I guess that makes sense why it would be a smaller sample size. But that feels like the conclusions are even less sound to me. <laughs> it seems like it's a good foundation study, but not like a good conclusion study. If you know what I mean? Like it's the beginning of the research. It's not the end of that. It's not going to be the end of this line of research. We're going to find more studies based on this. Okay. A study explores 328 mobile daters. Okay. 328. Yeah. So fairly small. Gives us some interesting stuff though. And no surprise that most people blame the other person because we don't like to see ourselves in, the, in a bad light. Yeah, we always have justifications. Actor observer bias. So the person being ghosted, though, do they more often blame themselves or oh, the other that's person? Harder. 
themselves. They actually more often blame the other person. So 67%, which is 95 respondents, indicated they ghosted because it was the other person's fault. Yeah, I don't know. The thing is, we don't actually even know the objective truth here. So, and we can't know the objective truth. So it's interesting because even like when we examine our own reasons why we did it, we often can't know conclusively. I have friends say like, why'd you do that? And it's like, wow, I was feeling this. I was in this physiological state, like I was hungry or thirsty. I didn't sleep well. And I have a history with this thing that's related. I'm not going to say all these things out loud because it's going to be like really annoying for somebody here. But like when I'm trying to figure out why did I do that thing exactly, you can come up with really justifiable, seemingly moral good reasons for yourself as to why you did it. But those are usually not the real reasons. So honestly... When asking people why they do stuff, we confabulate. We come up with plausible explanations that make us make sense and make us look good, even to ourselves. So I don't know if the truth of these things can even be found out. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's hard to know because when you're interviewing the people, there's going to be two sides to every story. So you'd have to have both of them in front of you and do like a, like a literal court case. Like I was thinking like just right. to myself, but even court cases, like that's about who can argue the best or who Still, can find. Yeah. Like, yeah, so like none of that is conclusive whatsoever. So what you're saying, like interviewing somebody, you have the desirability to look good for the interviewer, especially if there's somebody attractive or whatever. We talked about last or the episode before about elaboration likelihood model to a degree. Whether they are desirable in a way that you want to impress them, you're going to come up with different reasons that you may believe legitimately but like memory we are wrong a lot of the time so who knows it's way too complicated yeah and i got those numbers mixed up it's actually 59 percent of people who had received ghosting blamed the ghoster and 67 percent indicated they were ghosted because of the other person i mixed up the way i phrased it but let's just say most people blame the other person in both cases wait wait so the ghosted blames the ghoster the doer blames the recipient and the recipient blames the doer yes most often. All right, well, that makes perfect sense. I mean, like, that's not confusing at all. No, but for the people who do blame themselves, it's a significant number here, 37%. And the reasons why they blamed themselves in these sub-themes, it was because they're not good enough, not attractive enough, or did something wrong. Of course. What else is there? Those are the, the major sub-themes of blaming yourself. And, and that's where a lot of the harm comes from, is when you're really taking this quite personally and ruminating in the absence of answers. Imagine you're depressed or, like, like getting over depression and then this happens. Yeah, there's a lot of fuel there for seeing how it's your fault and you're a piece of trash and all this stuff and why anybody would ever love you. So like, yeah, I can see why it'd be damaging. It's like even being, I mean, assuming I am psychologically healthy, it can be difficult at times when you really value somebody and they just disappear. Yeah. Even if you understand why, even if like, you know, the things you did wrong, like I've talked about before, even when you know that those things, you're like, I shouldn't have done those things. God damn it. Yeah. It's not like that closure helps you necessarily. It still is like you're kicking yourself for having done that. So dating is tough. As they say, I hear that a lot. So one finding that did stand out though, is that people doing the ghosting, we're not just doing it for like what we had typically refer to as like immoral or unethical reasons where they're just kind of being manipulative or non-committal. A lot of the times people doing the ghosting were actually doing it to protect themselves because the ghostee was perceived to have been kind of aggressive or repeatedly sending unsolicited messages or having some stalking behavior. So the person doing the ghosting was saying, was blaming the other person for quite self-protective reasons. As you, we were saying before, they, they didn't feel safe in, in sharing I'm going to guess that that's like very much skewed towards women, of course, because like dangerous guys tend to be more dangerous. So 
yeah, I can, I can definitely see that being a thing. Cause like I said, like even if you like a woman were to want to give you real reasons for why they broke it off, like they're opening themselves up to huge threat. Like maybe you are insane and you're going to like, that's not a great term, but like maybe you are unhinged and you're going to do something about it. But it's not just about not telling you why, because they can not ghost you and then not tell you why, but it's about cutting all contact because they didn't even feel safe even saying, I can't see you anymore. To me, they're essentially the same thing. They're a trigger that might set off a potentially violent and volatile threatening figure. So like, of course, you're not going to want to poke that bear. You're just going to leave it unknown. And then whatever you do, if the person's unhinged, they're going to take it out on you regardless or try to or blame you at least because you disappear. Then you heartless, whatever. Why did you do this to me? I deserve at least an explanation. Then suppose you did explain it to them. They're going to say, well, I didn't do those things. That was just a one-off thing, blah, blah, blah. I was in a bad mix excuses and even if they accept that then they're gonna be like well that's not my fault that's you you can get past that i can be better yeah yeah you're i don't know why i'm laughing this is uncomfortable more than anything yeah the best way if you're gonna ghost for self-protection is certainly to go right to blocking them on every platform possible because yeah there's gonna be likely retaliation either way even that could be retaliation i, I don't know man i don't i don't want to give advice on this because i don't know the answer and i think that it's sticky regardless of what you do i think maybe filing some sort of registration with the police so there's some sort of paper trail no you can't do that I don't think without more reasonable cause you need to have something right if you go to them and then they find you and then they're sending threatening messages or if they're just like you feel unsafe about that you can put on paper about that I guess you can try if you reasonably think they're going to do something and they may not do it unless you have some sort of threat or evidence but if they told you stories about how they did things to get back at exes or something like that then that's probably justification enough to get something on paper because without a paper trail the cops often won't do shit and even if they do they may not yeah so i just wanted to bring this in because when we talk about ghosting we tend to talk about it as this like avoidant kind of not so good thing yeah. that people do the perpetrator is the bad one is what the kind of the theme through a lot of this but you're right it is also protective it's, it's also used for some maybe legitimate reasons here it's not just avoidance and immaturity or what have you so we got about five minutes what else you got well there's an interesting component here the predictors of pain and this shows there's a few things that predict how painful ghosting is going to be for you so here it is it says the more often one had experienced ghosting on a mobile app predicts received it yeah the more often that you had experienced it received it and it predicts the level of pain the less often one has ghosted others predicts the pain interesting so the more you ghost others it actually inoculates you against pain i mean sure you could look at it that but way the more often you ghost others might be associated with some of the dark triad stuff as well there's also that i mean that's a fair point i'm also thinking that because you've done it you justify it as something that people just do Right. That was actually one of the most common rationalizations for ghosting of that's just what people do. It's just the, what comes with dating these days on the apps. Yeah. It was kind of just as normalized was the most common rationalization. So that could predict it. So yeah, don't go out and just start ghosting a bunch of people to like vaccinate yourself psychologically. No, because <laughs> you could just be making yourself a worse person and sinking down. And because you're now becoming a worse person, you're like, yeah, worse people are more justified in doing these things because I do those things too. And I'm a good person. That's the thing, right? Like if I find a wallet, and I just take all the money out and drop it and that's my default and I see somebody else do that am I going to call them a bad person knowing full well that I have done that and would do that no because I think I'm not a bad person nobody thinks themselves a bad person they all think that the reasons they do things are justified so seeing somebody do that you're like eh that's the most common but when we're talking about people with actual severe depression then they oh yeah fine. <laughs> chronically think they're a bad person yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, well, then if they start ghosting people like this, then they're going to feel worse about themselves, too, being like, I'm a bad person for just not giving explanations to anybody and hurting them the way that I've been hurt. Long story short, don't go out and ghost people to protect yourself against ghosting. <laughs> There's a correlation. Long story short, correlation is not mean causation. This could be caused by a bunch of other things. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly. Another predictor was having face-to-face contact with the ghoster, the duration of the contact, and the expectedness of the ghosting. That's what I was saying to somebody yesterday, that online dating, until you meet the person in person you're not a human you're just a voice online you're just text on a screen and so they don't feel as bad just disappearing or being worse to you because you're not a real person you're not a complete human until they have a flesh and blood person in front of them a lot of the time yeah so the more contact the harder it is obvious kind of obvious and the expectedness so if you had zero idea like this thing was just great no red flags that's more painful yeah they've been like very available very available and then suddenly gone yeah that would hurt the most you're just driving full tilt on the highway and then suddenly you're off a cliff right a lot of these things are obvious but it's interesting that there's so much research on it all so that's the end of what i have here written down but i'm curious i wanted to ask you how often do you get ghosted because i know you date a lot like how often does this happen again it depends on what we mean by ghosting like if we're on an app and we haven't met or like if we're talking about like i've gotten to meet them in person no, before. i'm talking about things are going well even through a text conversation on the app and then they stop responding and you're like whoa what happened those are often salvageable it's hard to say because for some reason some people just get overwhelmed by tinder or they don't want to be on tinder all the time and so so they don't respond for that reason. So that could be considered ghosting. But sometimes you can follow up a week or two later being like, oh, yeah, this person that was going like great. And then you respond and then suddenly they're really available because like their life was just chaotic for a while. Or you can just say, here's my number. Add me on this other platform like WhatsApp or something. And then they'll just suddenly out of the blue add you a few days later because they happen to check in. So, I mean, it's a hard question to answer because if things are going really well, it doesn't happen very often because then things have gone well. So like, why would they? It doesn't happen that much anymore. When I was younger, I guess it would happen a bit more but like i said it's when you're online you're and you're only online it's just a text on a screen you're not a person so that would happen more often but you also learn not to get super super invested in that that's also why swiping i think it's a mistake for people to actually read profiles for at least guys women seem to read profiles a bit more i don't know like what the strategy would be best for them but for guys i say or anybody do they look interesting by their pictures yes or no then swipe right if they don't then no and then depending on who matches you then you can read the profile because otherwise it's an emotional marathon of being punched because you're like oh this person they're attractive they're into the same things we would get along really well you can't say anything to them until they match back so you're kind of getting attached to this person that there's nothing there yet but you're still kind of falling a little bit for this person each time so you're like yeah that'd be great oh my god yeah and they then, don't match yeah that's a good strategy for men it sounds like yeah because like women if it seems like it's more i don't know double digit percentage of people that you swipe right on you're going to match with for guys i guess some guys i've heard get really high match rates but most guys i think are getting less than a quarter at good times i've talked to people like nothing or like they literally have nobody responding to them it's like they're shouting in the desert as you said like it's a, it's a real thing yeah yeah that's a pretty common thing even when profile has been at its best and i've got like really good answers and stuff going on even if you're presenting your best self you're not going to appeal to everybody so there's a good chunk that are not going to be there and like i said like women are, are digging through a dump and they know that it's easy to get overwhelmed say you have nobody and you're just very lonely and then suddenly you match with three people three that are all promising how the hell are you going to fit that into your schedule how do you juggle this now suddenly like suddenly you have too much attention that you have to see them you're trying to like book dates or something or like say you have five god forbid and it's coming on the weekend like we can do like friday night saturday morning saturday night sunday morning saturday, sunday night like this is a marathon of dating to see if you can match with any of these people so from the women's side it's fighting for your time and not wasting it with abusive or potentially idiots just wasting your time whereas guys yeah you're like trying to just get 
more. So I guess, yeah, women, I think, read the profiles and figure out if you have something in common. Guys, just go by photos and see who likes your profile and then go from there. Those are the best advice I have for both sexes. Yeah, that sounds like useful advice there. And when I asked you like how often dating happens, you're biased. Are you a biased individual because... Ghosting happens, you mean? Yeah, because you're kind of in your 30s, so a little bit more maturity, but also like a high level of social experience and ethics and ability to banter and, and get along and build rapport. If we're talking younger persons in their earlier 20s who are not so skilled at communication, emotionally emotionally immature, I could imagine if I asked someone like that how often they get ghosted, it'd be different. Or, you know... Yes, because I think you haven't had enough experience to see that this person who you think is amazing, you're going to get married and you're picturing the life you're going to have together, but you haven't met in person yet, you will possibly stop your search altogether and put all your eggs in that one basket and then they just disappear and you're waiting by the phone. So like that's something that I think is a mistake. Some people disagree with me, of course. Some people like to just go all in on one person at a time and that's great if that works for you. That was kind of my approach. Yeah, but like that's different when it's in person. You were in college when you met your current wife, so it's different because there's constantly options around you in college. When you're an adult outside of college, you have to actively seek partners or find them work, which that's a shit show on its own because I always try to practice like the don't shit where you eat in my apartment building or places I go regularly. You don't want to really try to find people in that constant setting because if you do and things go wrong, then that's not a good situation. But if you're single as an adult and you're out of school, then it's a lot harder. It's different. It's different. Yeah. So it was someone with less experience or emotionally immature or just not good communication skills that they would misread the situation and be like, this person is, I'm going to marry this person. They get overinvested and then it's a red flag the other person who chases them off they get less attracted yeah possibly unless it's reciprocated but it's like romance movies like to make it seem like you're supposed to do this big gesture at that point or could declare your love or whatever and in an ideal world that would be reciprocated and things would be perfect but that's not where we live unfortunately and generally speaking that will end up shooting you in the foot and while it can be cold to keep looking even though you think you have somebody until you have a conversation it's not for sure and even if you do it's still not for sure like everything is a constant negotiation and relationships and you have to keep talking about them yeah. So I think that was a pretty comprehensive analysis, I would say. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I feel like it was meandering, but I don't know. Hopefully it was interesting. I don't have any real recap because we talked about some solutions for what to do about ghosting and breadcrumbing is worse. Yeah, potentially not take it personally. Yeah, because yeah, they're just rejecting your online profile and it's a different skill set altogether. Texting game, like talking entertainingly in text is a different thing than being a good person. <laughs> we can say that. Also, how you present yourself online, that's impression management. That's marketing. That's not the same skill. And so all these things, you may not have them, it's fine. They're judging those abilities. They're not judging you as a person. Not all of us are good marketers. Not all of us are good at texting. And so I wouldn't take it personally. Just understand that you have to maybe play to your strengths. Try to get to a phone call or something first. And if someone ghosts you well into a relationship, well... I don't know. There's nothing to be done. That's a red flag about their ability to communicate. And if you were to stay in that relationship, well, maybe it's best that it happened now. There's going to be a bunch of landmines randomly buried throughout your relationship. Yeah. So would you want to be with that person anyway if they were we're going to do that in a long-term relationship. That is a wise thing to think, but at the same time, it's extremely painful in the moment. Yeah, it is. It is. But it's, it's, it's right. Like, you're right. It's better to get these things. If they're going to be shitty, it's better to get them away sooner rather than later. You don't want to be married and have kids when you know it's not going to work. Yeah. And they come to you with a surprise divorce. I mean, that happens a lot too. I talk to people like, oh, my 20-year husband, wife, whatever, came to me with divorce papers 
out of the blue. Like that and there's really no obvious, like there's no signs that happens for sure. So if the person ghosts you maybe a few months or a year into dating, hey, it's better than the alternative. But I wouldn't say that if someone's right in the initial stages of grieving. But yeah, we're a little over our time now. <laughs> yeah, we're way or quite a bit over our time. So thank you for tuning in. That's all we got for today. We probably could keep talking about this for a long time. If you guys like that, let us know. But we will see you in another two weeks, and hopefully we have a surprise guest. That's our hope for the next episode. So thanks for tuning in. Leave us reviews on things, especially ones where you can write something and share us with your friends. Thanks again, and bye. Bye. Do you still put those things at the end of each episode?